You're watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join Coach C, the USA Strength and Conditioning Hall of Famer, every Monday night to see in a variety of guests, including former players, former and current coaches, pastors, and others will discuss relevant issues in coaching today's athlete with the goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Uh, welcome to Absolute Empowerment. Uh, tonight we have another very special guest, uh, Toma McMillan, who played for us at ECU. I had the wonderful opportunity to coach this young man who's uh, probably a little bit older now. Uh, but definitely one of the most enthusiastic, positive, and faithful individuals that I ever met. Uh, Tomo, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Coach C. It's an honor. It's a blessing. It's a a pleasure to to be here, to be able to support everything that you're doing. Well, you know, this is a Christian podcast. I couldn't think of anything, anybody any better than you to have on this type of uh, show. Uh, we've been waiting for a while to get you on here. And the other thing is, I want you to go ahead and tell me, uh, uh, tell the audience what exactly your title is now and, uh, you know, kind of what you're into. Okay, sure. Well, something um, that I realized while playing sports and through, through my faith is that my life was a lot more than just me. And even though sports was, you know, a very big part of my life, there was always something that was happening in the background. There was always something going on with every team that I played on, with every type of organization I've ever been a part of. I always believe that God has us placed places where we can say things, we can do things, we can share things to be able to support people. And um, as I was, I guess, living, I just realized that my life had more of a purpose, more of a meaning for it. And I always had that question. I said, well, God, what do you want me to be? Because I didn't, I never saw myself in a pulpit as like a preacher, something like that. But I always had a passion to share my faith. And and I mean, I guess not knowing what that actually meant was that when you're in, in evangelists, basically, it's like as you go. And one of the best ways and the most impactful ways that I found I could help people was through counseling. And when I finished college, I was substitute teaching. I got married, a lot of stuff, trials, all that kind of stuff. Things just really weren't going well. And then I had a, a friend that said, hey, there's this program at ECU called Marriage and Family Therapy. You should look into that. I said, ah, whatever. And so I'm like teaching and coaching long-term. And I just kept having these students ask me about how to help their life and these teachers asking me about this. I was like, why are y'all asking? I was like, I'm supposed to be teaching and I have people asking me, you know, about life issues. So I was like, well, let me go back to school and let me learn how to really help people. Cause I felt like I was putting a bandaid over an open heart and going back to school and becoming a licensed magic family therapist. I learned how to suture and how to support people in healing. And if anybody does any research, you know, if you look up the Greek and Hebrew, the word therapeo, therapy, it's like, I had no idea until I got to the program that I was made for this. Like, if I could wake up every day, and I actually do, I, I get to wake up every day and support somebody and having a better quality of life as a, a therapist. Of course, I have training and background. I have a, 
I'm actually licensed in the state of North Carolina. And I'm also a, a military family life counselor. That's also another credential that I added on. Um, I went through some other stuff and may, maybe we'll, we'll get to that too. But uh, a lot of life challenges kind of propelled me into things. But I also began working with the military and I became certified to work with the military and their families and their youth. So I'm a magic family therapist and I'm, a, and I'm also a military family life counselor and I have the honor and the privilege honor and the privilege to support the military and their families, people that have service-connected issues that are mental health as well. So I'm doing a little bit of all of that stuff right now. Well, that's awesome. Anything that has to do with your testimony we want to talk about tonight, so feel free to uh, expound upon anything you like. But uh, when you came to ECU, uh, everyone recognized your enthusiasm and uh, you kind of had a light around you all the time. You know, when you stepped into the room, uh, <clears throat> there was joy uh, that, that just, that that's how I saw you. You know, when you came in the room, there was joy coming in the room, you know, no, no matter what day it was, no matter if we lost a game, won a game, hmm. whatever time of the day we were lifting, if we had morning conditioning, whatever it was, uh, you were always happy, always positive, and uh, I thought you were a great influence on the people around you. And you had a good friend. I don't know if he was your best friend, but Freddie Clay Brooks was there with you quite a bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, oh, it, it wasn't like Toma. It was Toma and Freddie. Yeah. And uh, Freddie, I think, ended up transferring after a while. But, you know, uh, Freddie was a good football player. And uh, – and a, and a great young man as well. What I'd like you to do is maybe just tell me the story of uh, growing up in the Atlanta area. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, the influences uh, that kind of made Toma McMillan uh, the type of young man that he was, uh, such a personable young man with such a strong faith I know you had to have some people in your life that influenced you. And I love to hear a little bit about Thomas' story growing up. Yeah. Um, I could even say just meeting Freddie Claybrooks. I call him Muddy Waters. That's a, a long story. But um, <laughs> um, it's, it's amazing because he's, if, if anybody knows about At Atlanta, there's the greater Atlanta, there's the city, there's a, there's a metropolitan, there's a lot of other cities that are surrounding. And Freddie is from De Decatur, Georgia. So Decatur is like, uh, without trying to go too much, but it's like a few miles outside the city. So even though we grew up maybe 15, 20 minutes apart, we never really saw each other. And, and we never played on any all-star teams or nothing because it's just that big, it's a huge area. So just meeting him and the, the relationship that we continue to have, it's like God is, man, I don't, there is no way I can say I am who I am today without recognizing and understanding there's an influence of God on, on my life. And I never meet anybody by accident, never. And so that's something I, I guess, began to learn at an early age was that, Toma, you're meeting these people for a reason. Like, you have to listen. I'm always listening. Like, why, why is this person in my life? Why are they here? And what am I supposed to share with them? The reason why I um, do that is because 
I'm a very non-traditional person. Like if anybody knows me, just like you say, coach, I've always been weird. I've always been this unique person <laughs> my entire life. I'm just, I, I, but I embrace it now. Now I learned that that's part of who I am. I've always just been different. I have my own tune. I'm off. Um, I, I'll never forget that Tennessee game where I wore that orange shirt. Like, <laughs> and it's like, and for me, in, in, in my mind, I never even thought about how that would be all put into some people, you know, because I was just like you say, because I was just, I just really, that was a nice shirt. I like the color orange. So there's like certain things that um I had to, to learn about myself. And this is what's key is that I learned that I expressed that unique part of God. There's a part of God that is the the type of God that does miracles or that, that aspect of God that will use those kind of weird, those off things to confound the wise, like that part of, I am that part of God that's like, eh, what was God doing when, when um, God did that? But that is an aspect of God. And I had to learn that that's how I show the love of God because it's also one of those unique aspects of God is God loves like no one else can love. So I learned that my uniqueness and my weirdness, my quirkiness is also a way for people to see how can this guy be successful? How can this guy be used by God? And he's so different, you know, and he's just kind of off. And it's like, I, and then when I began to open my mouth and I began to share with them that the only reason why I am able to be who I am is because of my understanding of who God is and who God made me to be, it's just, a lot of people, they're like, what? What did he just say? And then people think that I grew up in the, in the church and, you know, I'm always sitting pews and all that kind of stuff. And it isn't that, it's because, it no, it's because God is real to me. The very first time I um, went to church, my, my, my aunt took me. I just remember going to this church, and, and it is a Southern Baptist church. And she took me, and I remember we stayed all day, and we had those sandwiches with wax paper. And it was like, man, I was like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I like this church thing, you know. But I always liked music, so I, I, I like the choir. And so I think we went twice. Then I had my uncle to take me once again when I was like eight. And I had another uncle to take me. Probably that same uncle took me maybe a couple other times to a different denomination church. I, I was just going because I had them uh, take me. But then something happened in my life when I was 12 years old where I was hungry. We didn't have a lot of money and I was living in Austin, um, is it Austin, Georgia, near Six Flags? Well, we were just living there and um, <clears throat> they had free tacos. <clears throat> and I don't know if y'all know this about me. I'm, I'm, I'm big now, but I was even, anyway, I just love to eat. So this church was offering free tacos. I was like, man, I'm, getting to, I'm about to go eat. So I went and they said, okay, you can shoot basketball. You can eat, eat these tacos. And so we were eating tacos in the basement. And then they said, okay, well, come upstairs and we just want to talk to you guys. I said, sure. And um, there was this um, person that I had, that I had known from school that had invited me to. I said, okay. And um, she was like, hey, why don't you just, just listen to what the message? I said, you know, I don't, I don't have nothing to lose. Y'all gave me a full stomach. I ate some tacos. Let me just sit down, you know, and see what y'all have to say. But then when they began to talk, <clears throat> and they began to talk about this person or, or this entity, this, this, this God, this, 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 this presence. And, and that's what I felt more than anything. Like literally doing that service, I had never really had some type of a experience where it was 
almost like warm water was pouring over me as they began to share about the love of God and how God wanted you to have a relationship with them. And I was like, man, I kind of like that. And so as they began to talk, at the end, they said, okay, did anyone that heard the message, do you want to give your life to Christ? I said, okay, sure. So at the age of 12, I said, okay, I'm going to become a Christian, born again Christian, but I never went to church again. That was the only time I, I went. I said, okay, this Jesus ain't real. I love Jesus, but my mom didn't take me to church. Dad didn't take me to church. So I never had ways to go, go back to church. And, and we had moved, so I, I didn't go back to that church again. But that was my moment. I said, at age 12, I knew there was something bigger and greater than me, and I wanted to be a part of it. So at the age of 15, I, quote, unquote, rededicated my um, life and uh, went to an another church um, is off of um, Snapfinger. It's like Stone Mountain-ish area. And without going into great detail, if you don't know the geographical area, it's off Rainbow Drive. But anyway, I was old enough to where I could get a ride. And then I got a ride. I was able to catch the bus to go to that church. And then when I was like 16, I got access to like a vehicle, got my driver's license. So I actually started taking people to church because I always wanted to share with, look, if I can have this experience with God, and, and, and my understanding of who God is, I want to help somebody else get the same experience. Why should I keep God to myself? And so <clears throat> when I came to ECU, it was the same thing. Like I was just like, man, I didn't know really, I didn't really go to church on a break. I just started going. And um, I got another roommate, Damon Davis, who was a born again Christian. And so, <clears throat> so later on, we began to kind of work together, you know, began to sharing the gospel and just sharing Jesus on, on, the, on the campus and sharing with our football um, players, you know, and um, teammates. And so it's like there was something that happened in that time where I made so many mistakes at age 17, from 18 to 20, and I said, okay, this is it. No matter what mistake I, I make, no matter what I do, I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ. I'm going to live my life so that in some way, in some form, I have an understanding. Everything that I'm doing I want God to be pleased with it. So even if I make a mistake, even if I make a mistake, I said, devil, I don't care what you say and what you do. I know I'm not perfect, but I know God in me is perfect. And from that day forward, it was so much more easier because that burden of trying to be perfect was taken off of me. And I let God be God in, in my life. And God used the experiences. Like it just exponentially grew. Um, even within the first was it two years where I really, you know, began to focus on God. They had the Franklin Graham concert or the Franklin Graham crusade came through Greenville and I was able to do the opening prayer. And just like hundreds of people came and gave their life to uh, Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that was just an, an, an opportunity I was given because I said, let me take a step back and let God just guide my, my life. And I began to just see how if you listen and you obey, doors will be open and you can then begin to share how real God is. Like not to be like, you know, like churchy and stuff like that. Cause I've never really been a churchy person, but the, the relationship part, like that one-on-one -on -one part, like that anybody, no matter who you are, no matter how imperfect you think you are, God loves you unconditionally and wants you to have a relationship 100%. No doubt. Well, uh, <clears throat> What were some of your best times at ECU uh, with the football program? Oh, man. Running 300s. You didn't know? <laughs> that was. <laughs> Do you know how many people got close to God because of you, Coach C? Coach C, so many guys developed a prayer life 
and would fast and go seek God the day before they had to test 300s because of you. <laughs> Man, that was wow. <clears throat> but yeah. just that, no, like, 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 I, maybe, no, no, but seriously, the one on the one on one time, like there were guys who were these big football players would be like, like privately, like I've, I've never put anybody out there. I never told anybody this, but speaking of guys just saying, man, would you pray with me? I've even had guys that have gone on and played in NFL from us and played with us. Like these quote unquote, you know, tough big guys would say, man, Toma, can you pray with me during the game? Like I've had guys have tough times with their girlfriends and their family, like real life stuff. And they's like, man, Toma, what do you think about this? I've had some of the biggest, strongest guys I've seen in the weight room, all this stuff, have times where they're like literally crying and saying, Toma, I need this God that you have in your life. And those moments outshine some of the other things. Like, <clears throat> I think that's always been something about me. I, I don't get impressed easily because I'm not worth being impressed, if that makes sense. Like, I'm just living and I'm just taking it all in. So, like that prayer to be able to pray in front of, to be able to do the opening prayer in front of a thousand people and represent ECU football. I never, like, something like that didn't register for me. So I've uh, been able to do the um, convocation and just diff different things like like, like that. <clears throat> I'm just thinking, okay, God, this is what you want me to do, so I'm going to step up and I'm do it. Um, blocking the field goal, like, it's, it's funny because even that, that, that uh, Nate, what was it, what was it, um, that uh, 99 game when we played Miami and, um, I was telling the reporter, I heard a voice tell me to move my hand to the right. And um, and I moved my hand to the right, then I blocked the um, field goal, the, uh, you know, the field goal. <laughs> and they were like, man, whatever. And I was like, for real, like I literally was playing and that's something that I learned how, how to do. And that's one of those things, like I said, I never really told people about this, but I was always prayerful. Like I would meditate before every game and, and get into the presence of God and make sure that while I was playing, I was praying, I felt like I was playing under the anointing of God, under the power of God, where I never had like a serious injury, you know, stuff like that, where like stuff would happen. I was like, wow. But I would listen. Like I would listen because I played defense. The way I would listen, I would look with my eyes and I would see how to how to beat guys. And is this I was I was unblockable. I'm not saying this because I was listening to God the whole time, but as I'm practicing, as I'm doing reps. As I'm as I'm squatting and doing deadlifts and power clean and then having to run four, four, five, you know, four, four gasters on Tuesdays, you know, like I was getting in better shape, but I was physically able to take my life to another level. And then the, on that spiritual side, I was able to put those two things together. And so I had some great moments because I because I didn't make God separate from my life. I made God part of all my life. Well, I really, I really thought the influence of Coach Logan was huge also because everyone knew that he was a strong spiritual man and he lived it. And, uh, you know, I had tremendous respect for him uh, in that regard as well, you know, because he was a, uh, you know, he didn't kind of wear it on his sleeve, but he let you know that your spiritual life was very important. So uh, uh, I think that was you know, that was a huge influence on our team. And I think it was a huge influence on the success of our team in many ways. Um, but definitely, uh, I don't know if I saw anybody who had so much leadership 
with the faith part of it as you, Toma. I mean, uh, you were always available for your teammates. They knew what you were about. Uh, the coaches knew what you were about. And uh, that enthusiasm you have uh, – became contagious and I believe it helped us win football games. So, uh, you know, I want to make sure I tell you that. Thank you very I, much. I never have. <laughs> no. And it's, it's so, and, and, and it, you know what coach D is so amazing. Like I've had people come to me later. Like I, I'm, I'm not, the thing is I told myself, I'm not going to get emotional during this because of, um, Anthony Nobles. And, right. um, yeah. He was one of those guys that I didn't know that looked up to me. And he and later, you know, when we, I was doing some arena football and we was playing and he was playing other teams and we just got really close. And he, and he would message me and, and talk to me. And he's like, Tony, man, I always looked up to you. I'm like, why you look up to me? This dude, 6'7", 360, can incline 450. I'm like, come on, dude. Why you look at, you know, just a massive man. But I didn't know until I got to know him that he actually grew up with a very spiritual family, like pastors in his family, men that were like, there was a singing groups, like all these kind of things that had, there's a, like a real strong faith base. And he was just, just like you say, he said, told me, you, you gave me permission to be a Christian while I played football. And I didn't really, and I, I guess I don't really realize it because <laughs> growing up where I grew up in a city, this is what they told us when I was in, in uh, middle school. By the time you're 21, you're either going to be dead, on drugs, or in gangs, or in jail. So by the time I graduated ECU, I was so excited because I had beat the odds. Yeah. Because people where I grew up from did, didn't make it. So when I'm having the opportunity to tell people about life and how I'm able to live a life, it's because... Where I grew up, like, honestly, I know maybe two or three people that actually did make it. Because out of all my friends, all my friend group, my cohort growing up, like, all that stuff did happen. They were in gangs, on drugs, dead, or in jail still to this day. So when I have opportunity and I'm going to a college university, I'm getting a college degree. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to live. I'm learning how to be successful in life doing something I've never seen people do before in my life. I have no choice in, in my mind but to be grateful and then to give honor to the motivation and reason for me to have that. And so sports, to me, was just, it was the same. I was like, I was like, God doesn't stop being God because I put on a helmet. God doesn't stop being God because I put on pads because I lift weights. I'm like, God is still with me. So why not share that with other people? And I know people are like, man, tell me it ain't that I'm serious. But the thing is, I had to do it because if I didn't be that serious, I would go to that other extreme. I would be on that other end. And I wanted to, to, to make it. So if I'm making it, and God is the reason why I'm making it, then why not share that with other people? And so just and so Noves showed me that even after playing football, and I have I would have other guys come up to me and be like, man, tell me, you know what, man, sometimes I no, I even had a coach tell me, <laughs> it was so funny. I, I actually I think it was Coach Coach Logan. He was like, Tell me. Sometimes I would find out when you were lifting and I would come down just to listen to the conversation you, you would have with, with your teammates. And I'm like, what, coach? I'm like, what? And he, he was like, he said, it would, it would just be like a little light in his day. Just like you said, just an inspirational thing. Just to, just, I guess, 
I don't know. You know, I'm just trying to be, be me. I'm in there acting, you know, you know how I did, Coach. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. I'm just being me, you know. And uh, and he was like, and he was just, and Coach, he was like, he, he felt like he would just sit. And he, he said, God would actually have a message for him sometime. Not every time, but it's like something that I would be saying about what I was going through. And because I would use that when, I, when I'm lifting, because to me, that, 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 that was a principle. It was the principle of actually exercising your faith. So I would exercise my muscles. Like exercising my my faith, so I would use scripture. I would listen to gospel music. I would listen to gospel rap artists that was talking about how to push yourself past comfort. And you were really big on that, Coach C. You were always about learning how to push yourself past comfort. And that's the spiritual thing. That's the spiritual thing that I learned when it when um uh, what's his name when, when we had to do the pirate maker, and I almost passed oh, yeah. out, and I started and I started <laughs> body cramps. You know, like you know, like stuff like that. It, but yeah. spiritually, I took myself physically to another level because spiritually, I took the training wheels off and I said, well, I want to see what it's like. And it's and that's been my life ever since. Like my life will never be normal. I, I cannot live a normal life. There's nothing that's supposed to be normal about Toma because I express that unique aspect of God. I love it, man. I love it. Let's get into a little bit of... Uh... What you do, uh, I will tell you this, uh, I'm very much aware of what's going on with athletes now from a mental health standpoint because we read about it all the time. You know, of course, I saw my share of it. Uh, it really wasn't as public as it is now. Mm -hmm. And we really didn't have the staff that some programs have now to work with young men. Uh, to make sure that they, uh, you know, stay confident, uh, stay grounded, and hopefully promote a spiritual life. Uh, there's so many temptations and so many, it, you know, athletics is so egocentric sometimes for both coaches and players. I mean, I, I you know, it's, I always look at it right now after I retired as, you know, I, a, I want to lose myself to find the kingdom, you know, I mean, uh, so, you know, because you, you just thought so much about yourself and about winning and, you know, how you're going to make your next dollar and, you know, you're not going to make your next dollar unless you win. And that, that kind of consumes you. So, uh, oh, yeah. you know, uh, since I retired, I've, I've almost had a totally different mindset and I'm actually in school now myself. I decided to go back to school to be a, a health and life coach. Congratulations. I'm in my fourth week there. So I'm, I'm pushing my other things to the bottom of the resume and trying to learn new things nice. uh, to help some folks. So, and, and I'm really excited about it. It's just awesome content. Absolutely. But talk a little bit about what you see with athletes uh, in today's world in relationship to some of the mental challenges and some of the mental health issues that are out there. Yeah. Something that I've been really pressed in lately, because just like you said, a lot of these are coming to the forefront with mental health. Like you have athletes, professional athletes saying that they need a mental health break. They've even added to a lot of... Um, employee assistance programs where they can get a mental health benefit. If, if you're in the state of North Carolina, state employees, almost all state employees get like mental health services almost free. So 
there's this push in our culture right now to be able to be more aware because we're realizing that there are a lot of athletes are human. Athletes right. are real. There's there's a human aspect of it, even though they're put on these pedestals and they're put on put in these positions to be superhuman, but that's part of the stress. That's part of the anxiety. That's what leads to a lot of depression, that poor, that performance, anxiety, like I've been given all this money. I've been given this position to, to do this, and now I don't know how to do it. Or I've been given all these resources and I squander it, and now I don't know what to do. And then another thing that I think, which is the hardest thing, is I am this quote-unquote superhero on this field, on this court, in this arena that I'm in, but in my personal life, in my private life, I'm barely holding on. In my, in my private life, I don't know how I'm making it. In my private life, I'm self-medicating. In my private life, I'm falling apart. In my private life, I'm having domestic violence issues. I have a lot of different mental health stressors and pressures in my life, and I, and I don't have anybody I can go to because if I go to somebody, then maybe I won't make as much money. Maybe they won't think I'm this superhero on the field, on the court, or the arena that I'm in. And so there's this stigma and this idea of perfection, I guess you can say that we have to be when you put in sports or when you're in a sports type of situation. And that adds even more stress and more pressure to you, to it. And I've been seeing it lately, I guess, because boxing has been really huge. Like there's been boxers wow. that have actually said how I'm depressed. Like I, I can't perform because I'm just so down. And I, I think that's something too I can, I can really speak to uh, just a little bit more when you're clinically depressed and when you're depressed does those are not the same things when you have a diagnosis of depression or when there's depression that's so strong and so present in your life there's a sense of i don't know how to get out of this there's a sense of i'm overwhelmed by this sadness i'm overwhelmed by this sense of hopelessness. I'm overwhelmed by this sense of I don't have control. It's like, it's like this is something that I'm not good. Like I'm not calm, I'm not peaceful, I don't have. And so it's not just I, I woke up one day, I was sad, or I had a bad game and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit down. That Those are like acute moments. Those are like moments that can lead to something else, but it's not where some people use medication some people have mental health support because they have realized that the way they're viewing life is from a from a depressed state. Like their perspective is down. Their perspective is less than. Their perspective is hopelessness, not hopefulness. If you listen to some of the people that, that share about their experience, usually is I had all these millions of dollars. I was on this stage, but then when I when I left, I felt like my life was empty. I, like people say they want to end their life. A lot of artists and athletes have this um, challenge and they have these suicidal ideations, these suicidal thoughts, all these thoughts that I don't want to be here anymore. I can't live anymore. I shouldn't live anymore because the pressure is too much or because I'm too sad or because I'm too worried about how I'm going, how I'm going to perform or if I'm going to be able to keep this standard. And so they say it's better just to end it. And so that's some of the things that I've run into and, and that, I, that I've actually faced um, in, in my personal life too, but also with, with working with athletes is how there's a whole other side to them 
that they don't get a chance to express and share. And from that mental health, it's a silent battle. You and I both can be having a mental health challenge at the same time. And if you look at us, no one will ever know. Right. It, it, it isn't until we express and until we share how I really thought I wasn't going to wake up this morning or I was hoping I wouldn't wake up this morning or I didn't even know if I was going to be able to keep moving. I like I, It took everything in me to be able to make it here today. Like when, when people start having a conversation, if they're being honest, if they're genuine about what they're going, what those thoughts are in their mind, they just keep going over and over again, that they seem like they can't control those worries, then that's anxiety. It's like there's this certain levels to it that if we are honest, that's when it gets exposed. And what people don't like, and a lot of times it's very challenging, when there's when it seems like it's a weakness. And that's the good thing about getting mental health support. So if any of you all are listening to this, if any of you all have any type of challenges that I've just talked about, if you're an athlete, there is support for you. There's tons of it out there. You don't have to do it on your own. It isn't weakness. It's a part of your humanness. And everybody has something that they can use support in. Everybody in this world. It doesn't make you any less than, it doesn't make you, make you like something's wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. It means that there's something happening within your life where you're in this point, in this moment, where it's best for you to have another perspective and another support because the way you're viewing it, the way you're defining it is detrimental to yourself, to your life, and it's because you see things in an unhealthy way. And just like when we go to the doctor for their physical health, when you go to a doctor or someone like me for a mental health pro provider for their mental health, it's to help you to get a healthy perspective, a perspective that's going to help your life and to reaffirm those positive things and, and help you to get a perspective that's not detrimental and hurtful to yourself. And so as I'm seeing these um, famous, quote unquote, famous people that are committing suicide, these athletes that are saying that they didn't, they wanted to end it, they didn't want to make it, or they were clinically depressed and they need to get help. It's just some of those quiet and silent things that's going on in our culture that now is, is just more, um, the one, the resources are more accessible, they're more readily available, but also it's like now it's becoming almost trending for people to talk about what their mental health challenges are. Yeah, now with athletes, do you think that uh, depression is one of the main things that uh, they're dealing with overall? I say the I would say the top two that I've seen is depression and anxiety. Right. That. Yeah, that was kind of where I was going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's very huge because. Again, you can be depressed and still run for a thousand yards. You can still be depressed and lift a thousand pounds. You can still be anxious and worried and stressed out and still coach your team to a national championship. So it's like because people are so in the present or in the public, people don't see how behind this, the scenes there's a need for support and there's a need for help. Well, what is uh, an example of your strategy, for instance, if someone comes to you with anxiety? What? Uh, tell me a little bit about your approach. Okay. Well, for for me, the way Toma McMillan does it, licensed marriage and family therapist, Toma McMillan, Coach C-Mac. <laughs> the, the way that I approach things is I always try to figure out how are they defining what they're anxious about. To me, it's about meaning. 
Um, I'm, I'm more of a structural therapist, so I spend a lot of time with meaning and narrative things. So in your life, if you're defining something in a, in a way for you that is hurtful, then you will react to it in a, in a, in a, in a way to protect yourself against it. And when we begin to protect ourselves against things, we begin to actually create these borders, these walls, these barriers, these these ideas in our mind to keep us safe from it. And so I began to ask and begin to work with them about, okay, what is this thing that you're anxious about, that you're worried about, and how are you defining it? Is it hurtful for you? And if it is hurtful, then what are you doing to protect yourself against it? And then as I began to back up and work with them with it, we began to realize that there are some things they were afraid of, and that's where fears come in. And, and people can start to be honest about what their fears are and how these fears have led to a lot of anxious thoughts. These fears have led to worries. And so I spent a lot of time working with people on how to redefine those things they're anxious about and began to find answers to resolve those fears, began to find um, answers to whatever they're worrying about. So what can we do to find answers so you don't have to worry about that? What, what can you do to create a sense of calm and peace in your life where you don't feel like it's out of out of control. So because anxiety is such a big umbrella and de depression is such a big umbrella, I always ask the person to tell me, what is it specifically that you're anxious about? What is it specifically that has you sad? What is it specifically that has you worried? And what specifically you feel like is hurting your life or hindering you, hindering you or making you stressed out was, was really taking you to this place where you know you don't want to be. And then I asked them to to share with me what are those things that are that are um, hurting them and what those things are helping. And then how can we create more of those things that are helping? And then how do we redefine those things that are hurting? And then to get some type of supports in their life to recognize what are the triggers, what are things that set them up, what are things that spark some of those thoughts, what sparks the depression, what sparks the anxiety, what causes it for lack of a better word, has there been some trauma? Because there's something else that a lot of people go through is like a traumatic event. They were hurt by something or something hurtful happened to them. It could be a loss of a family member. It could be that they were physically abused, emotionally abused, sexually abused. It could be in just a moment that was like a car crash or car wreck. It could, it could be anything. A lot of people that enter into the military have a lot of experiences that other people in this world would never have. And it becomes, and it creates a place of trauma. So when we're having these hurts and these traumas, and we're having these, um, for lack of a better, these injuries emotionally, it presents itself as anxiety, stress, and um, depression. And because in our world, in our society, we go to school to learn physically how to heal ourselves, but we don't go to school and we don't learn how to emotionally work through things. We don't know how to fix that mental injury we have, that emotional injury that we might have in our heart and in our mind and in our spirit. So that's basically, I hope I answered that question accurately. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as a coach, a lot of people don't understand that uh, or maybe even realize that I, I really think that coaches need a lot of help um, because uh what I learned when I retired is over time, I realized that I could trade perfectionism for presence. 
because we were always looking to make everything perfect because, you know, you had to win games. I always had a one-year contract. You know, I did have a multi-year contract one time, but then I left the place, you know, mm-hmm. about a month after I got the contract. So, but, uh, but yeah, when you're, you're going through a football season and uh, you never know, uh, you know, who's going to get fired, if the head coach is going to get fired, if he gets fired, if you have a job, you get to that sixth or seventh game of the season, you're thinking, which way is this season going to go? Uh, am I still going to be able to support my family? How long will I have a paycheck? Uh, and, you know, and then you have that relief when you win maybe that seventh or eighth game thinking, oh, man, what a relief. I, I'm here for another year, you know, and uh, it's it's it can create tremendous anxiety. I, you know, honestly, I don't think I've ever been depressed in my life. Uh, but what I've had, what I've been is like, uh, I just don't think I handled those things well because I would start getting wacky, you know, about halfway through the season and start, you know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what I'm going to do to make a living if I have to, if I have to do something else or if I got to go somewhere else and find a job. And, uh, you know, when you have to move your family around the country as a coach, you know, sometimes you're, your children may not be that understanding of why they have to switch schools, why they have to make new friends, why they have to move to a new town. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that puts tremendous stress on a coach. When I was in Carolina, of course, there was a change there in the head coach and I was retained, but not knowing if I'd be retained, I moved my family three hours away Uh for several reasons, just to actually to protect them and try to figure out what we're going to do next, just in case I wasn't retained. Mm-hmm. So I had to travel for, you know, three or four years to see my family. And I had to travel three hours to watch my son play football on a Friday, then travel three hours back to the hotel, get there at two in the morning for our game, you know, at, at UNC, uh, that, that's kind of some of the things you go through, I think, as a coach. And I see a lot of coaches going through those types of things. So, I mean, it's not just the players, I think, that need some some help, but I think the, the coaches as well. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, and, and I really don't know what resources are available. Uh, but I know the last couple of years when things weren't going well at ECU, uh, you know, it's it's a very bad feeling in a lot of respects. And fortunately, it was right there when I was going to retire. So, but, uh, you know, and I fortunately had survived seven head coaches. But uh, <laughs> but I think that coaches really, really could use that uh, resource. There's, there's no question about it. And I think they're reluctant to do it. Absolutely. Not only them, but also having their families understand the profession. Yes. Uh, so that you can, you know, you can keep your marriage. Yes. It, it, it's, it's a different animal. Uh, so, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's yeah. a different creature because just like with my training and work with the military, that there, there's something that you innately want for your family that you can't give them. And that's all of your time. That in and of itself creates stress. There's stress on a, usually, 
on the man in the household? Because I know there's there, there are women coaches also, so that also creates stress in the household too. But it's there's there's an instant stressor because I have to be committed to this program and get this program to where it's successful. But then I have this program that I sleep with. I have this program that that my children rely on. There's this entity I have at the house, this family that depends on me for everything. And so there's a pressure to not to say quote unquote choose, but you kind of do. And so what and, and so and so how do you prepare as a family for that? How how do you prepare a three-year-old that's, that's that's waiting on their dad to come home? How do you prepare this wife who never knew her husband was going to be in this profession to only see him two months out of the, the year. You see what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't happen because when they have deployments in the military, like the husbands or the wives or whoever they are, they may be gone for years at a time. So by definition, a family is stressed because you have members that are separated and are not there. And so if you don't have a mental health profession, you don't have a, a licensed therapist or a counselor to, to help them to work on different strategies because you have because you don't have a traditional family. Because you don't have a traditional family, you need to learn ways to build the communication, to keep the fire and the chemistry going between the husband and the wife, and to keep that connection between the parents and the children so it's, so it's healthy. You want to have a healthy family system. And there are certain, jo certain jobs and professions and careers, like coaching and sports and athletics and the military, it puts a lot of strain, a lot of pressure on the stability of the family and yeah. unfortunately a lot of families don't make it quote unquote you know like the families break up and they have a lot of hurt connected to that well i spent uh, about seven or eight months with special ops marines uh second third battalion down at uh sneeds ferry uh north carolina and um what was shocking to me is they sent me to like two or three days of suicide prevention training. And the statistics in the military are quite incredible that, you know, we're talking 2025 a day, uh, either current military or mm. veterans committing suicide. And, um, uh, say a few things about that because you're working with military. Yeah, uh, one of the most eye-opening experiences in, in, in my life was working on um, one, one of the military posts in North Carolina, and every day there was a reported suicide. And I didn't realize, but that's why my job was there. And 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 they told me later, it's like, told me that that's that's that's, why, that's one of the reasons why this this one of the reasons why this create this position was created was because it was such an alarming rate and it was such a quiet thing that would happen. And that's what they were saying. And my position as an MFLAC, as a military family life counselor, I don't have to report anything to the chain of command unless someone's gonna hurt themselves or harm somebody else. That's it. You're gonna harm yourself or harm somebody else. Then I have to report it and I just support them making that transition. But it was so amazing how there is this standard and I'm just gonna say it because it is what it is. It's like they will say, you as a soldier, you as an airman, you as a seaman, what 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 whatever rank in the military you are, whatever position you have in the military, you have to make sure that that, even though they say family first, it was, you know, it ended up being family second. It, actually, you were second. 
So it was the job. That's the idea. One of the biggest things that I dealt with in working with military members is how it's about the job. You got to, no matter what, I got a wife. Your wife can hurt your career. Being a family man can hurt your career. You can use benefit. You can lose benefits. And so just talking to them about how there's that dichotomy, meaning there's this internal conflict within them because they want to take care of themselves and they want to take care of their family. But they know that if they put their family as a priority, they're going to lose out on their career and they can lose their job. So they have to choose. And what I found a lot of the uh, military that I was working with, one of the biggest stressors for them was just that right there is how the job seemed like it was more important than them. And so they had so much stress that it would it literally physically, just like most people. And that's why I want to take a little, uh, a little caveat too. One of the number one killers, just physically, not even suicide, one of the number one killers in the world is stress-related ailments. Stress is so powerful that it can physically present as a, as a physical illness. And so if you're not careful, you can have so much stress in your life that your life can stop, that your heart can stop. You can have a stroke, your blood pressure. Like there's so many things, like physically, you can become physically sick because you have so much stress in, in your life. And what I found is that within the military, if you reported, this was before my position was created, if you were to re report that you had some type of mental illness or some type of suicidal thought, suicidal ideation, you may not get promoted because it becomes part of your paperwork. And so now you have to figure out how to have this internal battle and work on these thoughts and these challenges and not tell your command and not tell your supervisor not tell them you're depressed, not tell them that you're anxious, not tell them that you don't feel like living anymore because I might lose my job. And so that adds even more pressure and more stress. And that's what some of the biggest challenges are is how it's such a quiet battle that our military is facing and they don't really know who they can, who they can't talk to. Like I've talked to three-star generals. I've talked to battalion leaders before and they've told me some of these things that are going on and some of their concerns is not just for them, it's, it's, it's for their company. It's for the men that they're leading, for the women that they're leading, and they're seeing how they're so stressed out now. And, and they feel this sense of kind of guilt too. Because what do you do when you're leading them and you know it's about the mission, it's about the job, and they're and that's and it and it's putting them at a detriment. So you have all these things that, of course, they can't tell anybody this, because if they told somebody this then their job could be at jeopardy. Then they may appear weak. They may not uh, appear to be like a good leader. And so that's why the military family life counselor position was created to be able to give the military a, a resource, a mental health resources, excuse me, a mental health resource that didn't have to report anything. There's no documentation. Like you don't have to worry about, you know, whether somebody's going to write it up and, and send you in. You got to go talk to somebody about it. No, it's just, it was, it's just a, a place where you can relieve stress where you can work through your challenges, where you can get some mental health support, and you can know that the only thing to ever be concerned about is that ultimate thing of, you know, of threat to life or harm of life. So you don't have to, but you can just talk about how <laughs> some of the stories I heard, man, like they literally hated people. And and they could come and tell me that they hated that person and go right back in, in into the platoon or, or, or go right back in the lineup. 
And just for them to talk to me was just a good resource because they're like, man, is there somebody that I could just say this to? Because they can't tell the um the person that they're next to. Yeah. Because the person they're next to may, you know, oh man, this is oh, and, and then you see and you and you appear weak. And I think that's one of the biggest stigmas is mental health challenges can be perceived as weakness. Well, let's go to your forte. And uh, I'm coming in to see you for help. Tell me how my relationship with God will keep me grounded. Oh, man, I can I can tell you 100 percent that every challenge you have. Everything that you think is out of control, everything you think that can't be controlled through a relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, you can have every answer that you need. That's something that I'm very grateful to have, too. I don't have the credentials, <clears throat> excuse me, spiritually, but I've been a, a spiritual counselor since I was probably 20 years old in, in, in the church setting. So I, it's like behind the scenes, I could be a Christian, too. You know, it, it's, it's so weird because uh, or just kind of weird for me how like everything I am, everything that I'm about is, is like God. But in my job, in my profession, I have to present as, you know, whoever, you know, almost like a blank slate. Because uh, unless you tell me you want a Christian counselor, unless you tell me you want a Christian therapist, that's not something I just tell people. Because I've counseled people that are of, of different faiths and, and different backgrounds. And it's not up to me to convert them when they're getting therapy. <clears throat> right. it's, it's, it's my job to support them and help them to develop their faith. So I have to always be aware of who do they say God is? like, And then based on who they say God is, how can they get that type of help if they want the type of spiritual help? Yet for me, Toma McMillan, what I have learned is that through my Christian faith and my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, every burden, you know, without trying to sound too spiritual, every heaviness, everything, stress, anxiety, de depression, all that, that type of stuff can be resolved. And <clears throat> what's so, um, so amazing is when I went to school and when I was learning about therapy, some of the exact same principles they were teaching and sharing through therapy are almost congruent with the spiritual teachings of Christianity and, uh, and the Bible. So that, that's what made therapy make so much sense to me because it was like, it was what I had learned about who God was. And I was like, man, you can become whole. You can become complete. You can become free from symptoms. You can become free from this diagnosis. You know, like it's like, wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, in, in, in the school I'm in now, uh, when it comes down to it, it's about loving other people. So, yeah, they're not going to talk about uh, Christ or one denomination or, you know, they're going to keep it very general. But at the same time, you know, Jesus Christ is all about love. Yes. And the thing about it is they don't work for anybody. <clears throat> Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to be a dog soldier for Christ. That's what I'm yes. going to do. So, you know. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's so interesting that you even brought that up because there's a book that I'm working on right now that I'm writing, and it's about learning to love yourself unconditionally. And it's based on, the, on that Christian principle 
of the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. But I've learned how to love me. Remember how it says one thing I was telling you about how to embrace my uniqueness, seeing that I'm, I am who I am and not trying to make it go away, but to see how that makes me uniquely me. No one can express me the way I, I express me. And because I have my own personal relationship with God, other people will get to experience a aspect of God because I'm genuine to who I understand and I'm authentic to who I understand God is in my life. And that can free and release so many other stress and pressure to be something else than, other than what you are. As, like I said, I don't want to go too much into it, but there's a, a freedom you can have by learning to love yourself without condition. You can, go as far, you can go as far into it as you want, brother. <laughs> see, see, we get, okay, well, let me just go into a, a small part of it, okay? The, the, the concepts that we call our shortcomings, the, the concept of sin and, and lack, can be anything that's, that's, that's not quote-unquote right. And many a times in life, we create this space. We create this archetype this being of or who we think everybody loves who we think okay this is the perfect person right so now there's this stress and this pressure to become a person that doesn't have any defect any flaw and so now you're trying to live this life and you will overlook shortcomings you will overlook things in your life you even protect yourself from realizing the areas in your life that you really are not strong in and you really and you will pretend that you are and you will make sure others don't see it. You'll cover it up. You actually do stuff to make it seem like, oh man, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right. But behind closed doors, when it's just you by yourself, just you and God talking, or you and yourself, and you have those inner conversations, those internal dialogues that you're having within yourself, and you know it's off, and you know it's wrong, and you know you shouldn't think it, and you know you shouldn't do those things. But when you don't allow yourself to express that, you begin to try to hold it back and begin to say, oh, no, I shouldn't, no, I shouldn't, no, I shouldn't. And then you begin to say something's wrong with me, something's wrong with me, something's wrong with me. And the personal exploration that I had to do <clears throat> was to realize that there's always going to be something because I'm a human being. I have I, I live in a flesh suit, like, like I have thoughts, so and I'm not perfect and in that I'm not without error right so because i'm not without error then that means that there's parts of me that will have error and what i'm hoping that people begin to understand is we can love that part of us that's that most erroneous part of our, ourselves and when i say love i i don't mean to overlook it i'm saying love is in love corrects Right. Love, there's a guiding aspect of love. There's a part of love that says, I want to make this wrong right. And now you can begin to love yourself so much that you begin to correct yourself. You begin to put yourself in a position where you're working on those things and you're always aware of what you're working on. Not that you are saying that, oh man, you know, I'm not this. Oh man, I'm not that. And then I can never be this. It's not about what you can never be. It's understanding and welcoming who you are having that comfort, having that peace of just knowing that you're the that you're just you. And then begin to love that part of you unconditionally to the point where you embrace it. And you and you accept it. And now you're not fighting against yourself. Now you're not having these 
private conversations where you're fighting against yourself or battling yourself. You have these private conversations where you're saying, come on, Tony, we can do it. Come on, man, just keep working, keep working, keep working. Yeah, this is what it is, but you, you, but you can overcome this. And you begin to use that, that love for yourself to work on yourself, not to make it seem like you're perfect, not to make it seem like that there's nothing wrong with you, but to know that you deserve the utmost love, but you deserve to have a life that's free from this idea that you have to be perfect. Right. Well, Toma, we got about five minutes. And uh, what I'd like you to do before we close is, uh, could you just imagine that you are speaking to a freshman class of football players? Hmm. And tell me a little bit about <clears throat> what you would convey to them what you think is important for them to understand as young men, many of which, as we know, may have come from a broken home, a single parent home, whatever that situation might be. Some of which never, uh, some of which may have to learn about uh, hard work, authority, uh, how to be a freshman again, you know, but from a spiritual standpoint and a mental health standpoint, you know, you have free reign to tell them whatever you're going to tell them. So uh, tell me what you think is important. What I've learned more than anything is that the person you are today is not the person you're going to be five years from now. The person you are today is not the person you're going to be two years from now. The person you are today is not even the person you're going to be three months to a year from, from now. Allow yourself to become. Seek. Don't settle for what other people tell you. Don't settle for what this idea is that has been placed on you for what success is. As a spiritual person, or as a spiritual being, we have something in our life called purpose. We have been created to be a certain thing. We have been created to express a certain aspect of God that only we can. We, we were a word that God spoke. There's a reason why you're here right now. It is not an accident. Whatever family you went through, whatever whatever people called a mistake, whatever they said should not have happened, whatever you had to fight through to become and to get here right now is because you need to hear this. You're worth it. There is nothing about you that disqualifies you. You're fully qualified to have a full, complete, and total relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You are very well prepared you're very well um you are very well positioned because you're right in front of me right now <laughs> this is not i have never in my life met any not one person by accident in all the years of my life every time i meet somebody it's because something needs to happen either i share something to them about god or they share something with me to help me learn to have a better understanding of who god is and you're here right now not by accident, because you needed to share with me and I needed to share with, with you. And as you allow your life to become, as you allow your life to, to be, you will have an understanding that there are certain things that will happen that are out of your control. You have no control over it. What you do have control over is how you respond to it and the resources that you can find to help you become a better version of yourself. Keep striving for that. Keep seeking for that becoming that better version of yourself. Their resources, professional, 
from an athletic standpoint, from a mental health standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, it's very, very easy to just go with the um, program or just go with the flow or go with the group. <clears throat> One of the hardest things is to be unique and to just be who you are and to be yourself. Do the work on you. Take the time to learn you and love you for who you are and understand what that means and then seek to improve and make that better. Amen, brother. And you did it. You did it. Coach, I can't, man, I, I, I have a bunch of the gratefuls because, and, and that's what I wanted to share with, with anything, or share more than anything is that I became the therapist that I think that I thought that I needed when I was a kid. I went through a lot of emotional and physical abuse in the household that I was growing up in, growing up in, in the family that I was growing up in, and I didn't have help. And I was an angry kid, extremely angry. I thought I had to fight and beat, and, and sports was my outlet. I'm so glad I found sports because I, I probably would have ended up in some doing some a lot of illegal things, but sports was a way I could beat somebody up every play. I could beat somebody up every, <laughs> every day. And that was my way of getting that stress off of me. I'm like, man, I can't wait to go to practice. <laughs> so I can take That's it out over my Yeah. And then I as you, I went. Uh, hey, I feel you, man. I used to love to, to run and smash into somebody, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's something you about that. It's like, uh, it's like, you just, okay, I'm good. You know, <laughs> it's like you get that off. Okay, I'm good. You know, and then because if somebody meet me, they're oh man, you so chill, you so cool. It's like that's why I like one of my favorite characters is an Incredible Hulk, because uh, just learning his um story is how he's he's always angry, but he just <laughs> has to stay calm so he don't explode. You know. <laughs> well, before we close, I want to give you an opportunity, and I, you know, it's up to you. But would you like to? Uh, would you like to say a prayer for those out there? Sure, sure. I would like to say a um, prayer. Thank you, brother. Uh, all right, God, I, I want to thank you so much for being you. I want to thank you, God, that I can step aside and I can allow you to move through me as a vessel, as a channel. Anyone that's listening right now, everyone that's listening right now, I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that your omniscient and your limitless power will begin to move right now god i pray whatever is happening in their life that needs to be restored anything any darkness that you'll shine your light i pray god whatever is happening in their life that's not in line with you will begin to come in line it's coming in line right now as i'm praying god i pray for your fullness your wholeness your completeness in every aspect in every area of their life god i praise their families if their families are having challenges if they have um challenge on their job, their career, their education, whatever aspect of their life, anything that's challenging, God, I pray for your wisdom and your guidance. And I also pray for supports. God, I pray you send other strong Christians, other strong people, other resources in their life that they might not even know that's right there available. I pray that eyes are being opened right now that people begin to see clearly, God, what is your purpose? What is your plan for their life? What are the resources that are there to help them become and continue to become the fullness and the completion of what you purpose for them to be. God, I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, God, that, that there's no God like you. I thank you, God, that you continue being God in our lives. And it is in your your exceeding, your abundant and faithful name, I pray. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen, brother. Way to throw it down. Well, Toma, <laughs> I love you, man. I love everything you stand for. Love you too, Coach. Thank you. Can't wait to see you. And uh, I know you're... Uh, 
You're in the Dominican Republic now, correct? Yeah, in, in, in Puerto Plata City. Okay. Yeah. Well, when you get back around Greenville, give me a holler. And uh, we'll get together again for another podcast as well because this has been extremely meaningful and I really appreciate it. Well, Coach, I, I thank you for the opportunity. And I'm always back and forth. I've been traveling. That's another thing that I want to say that God is so big. Like, I never thought I could have an international therapy practice. But I've had clients in different countries now. I thought I was just going to be the state of North Carolina. But now God is opening doors where I'm able to provide mental health services to people in Europe and yeah. Asia and South America. It's, and I'm learning Spanish while I'm almost conversationally fluent. <laughs> You are in Espanol todos los días ahora, so it's like, man, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you, Coach, it's, man, thank you, Coach, thank you. All right. Okay, well, uh, adios. And, adios. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is Coach Jeff Connors signing off for Absolute Empowerment. God bless, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, brother. Love you, Coach. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at The Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at The Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show. And go Pirates!